Welcome to Quantum Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. In 2016, geochemists Jonas Tusch and Karsten Munker hammered 1,000 pounds of rock from the Australian outback. They air freighted it home to Cologne, Germany, and then spent five years sawing, crushing, dissolving, and analyzing it. Now they've coaxed from those rocks a secret hidden for eons, the era when plate tectonics began. That's next. Explore other science mysteries in the quanta book Alice and Bob Meet the Wall of Fire, published by the MIT Press, available now at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or your local bookstore. Also, make sure you tell your friends about the Quanta Magazine Science Podcast and give us a positive review or follow where you listen. It helps people find this podcast. Earth's fractured surface of rigid interlocking plates is unique in the solar system. Scientists increasingly connect it to our planet's other special features, such as its stable atmosphere, protective magnetic field, and menagerie of complex life. But geologists have long debated exactly when Earth's crust broke into plates in the first place. Competing hypotheses span from the first billion years of the planet's four-and-a-half-billion-year history to sometime in the last billion years. Those estimates have wildly different implications for how plate tectonics affects everything else on Earth. The spreading, smashing, and plunging of tectonic plates shapes far more than just geography. The recycling of Earth's surface helps to regulate its climate, while the building of continents and mountains pumps vital nutrients into the ecosystem. If plate tectonics began early enough, it may have been a major driver of the evolution of complex life. By extension, shifting plates could be a prerequisite for advanced life on distant planets as well. Now, a study of the rocks from the Australian outback by Touche, Munker, and their co-authors sheds light on that. It's published in Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. And geologist Alan Collins of the University of Adelaide in Australia says the study captures a snapshot of the advent of plate tectonics. The team's analysis of tungsten isotopes in the rocks reveals Earth in the act of transitioning to plate tectonics around 3.2 billion years ago. Richard Palin is a petrologist at the University of Oxford. He says the findings support other circumstantial evidence over the last decade that also points to that date. Palin says it supports the growing consensus in the geological community that plate tectonics established itself at a global scale sometime around 3 billion years ago. Alan Collins says various disciplines are coming together on this. There's a lot of different people coming from very different perspectives and actually trying to answer different questions or starting off to try and answer different questions. But are sort of coming up, I think, with a convergence that this 3.2, 3 billion years is where we're seeing lots of evidence of things from the surface getting down into the mantle, the mantle chemistry changing, the mantle becoming better mixed, and also on the surface, 
plates moving into each other and starting to even do things like create mountains. When geologist Alfred Wegener first proposed the theory of continental drift in 1912, most of his colleagues thought it was a crazy idea. How could giant land masses move? Wegener couldn't identify a mechanism to drive his drifting continents, and it would take another five decades for geologists to figure out how convection within Earth's mantle propels the plates on the surface. You remember the mantle is the thick layer of hot rock between Earth's crust and its core. Geologists eventually showed that the 15 main plates and dozens of smaller ones spread apart at mid-ocean ridges. They move with the mantle's flow, scraping against each other at their edges. Then they plunge back into the mantle at subduction zones. Carolina Lithgow-Bertoloni is a geophysicist at UCLA. She says plate tectonics as we know it on Earth is unique to the planets in our solar system. And what it gives is a very organized way of moving the surface. You can then understand why there are earthquakes, where there are earthquakes, why there are mountains, where there are mountains. It is also an incredibly effective way to recycle material into the interior of the Earth. In the decades since Wegener's theory, scientists have come to realize that Earth's atmosphere, magnetic field, stable climate, and biodiversity are all linked to plate tectonics. It makes our planet work the way it works. So plate tectonics is unique, but it's also incredibly effective at giving us the planet that we have today. For starters, Plate tectonics has helped Earth maintain a habitable climate for billions of years, despite a gradually brightening sun. Our Goldilocks climate largely results from chemical reactions between carbon dioxide in the air and silicate minerals. This slowly reduces the level of the greenhouse gas in the atmosphere by burying it in sediments. Most of that silicate carbon dioxide reacting happens on the slopes of mountains made by colliding plates. Plus, recycling material between the mantle, crust, oceans, and atmosphere gives us a continuous supply of elements that are crucial to life. Plate tectonics refines the mantle, causing elements like phosphorus to accrue on the surface as continental crust. These elements weather in the mountains and are washed into the sea, where they fertilize ocean life. And the continents themselves provide sunlit places for new species to grow, says geochemist Jonas Tusch. These stromatolites, these remnants from cyanobacteria, produce the oxygen that was then later needed for higher life. And it was important that you had uplift so that these bacteria were in contact to sunlight. Just as important, mantle convection lets heat escape from Earth's core, helping it generate a magnetic field. The field extends far into space and protects the atmosphere from being eroded away by solar storms. But Earth's infancy was different. Radioactive decay made Earth's interior much hotter than it is today, so its crust was limp and soft. For decades, scientists have debated when the core cooled enough for the crust to harden into plates that began to move, break apart, collide, and plunge. Lithgow Bertoloni says knowing when that transition took place is important. It would let us understand better what led to certain changes in the evolution of life. 
how we got to the present system. So I think it is important to know for this reason, but both in the in the sense of a basic understanding of the Earth and to know how our planet operates today with all the consequences that it has. Deciphering our planet's formative years is hard. Rocks from billions of years ago are not only rare, but also tortured by time and tectonics. They give disjointed and potentially misleading glimpses into the past. Several scientists have argued that plate tectonics has operated since at least 4 billion years ago. They base this on tiny 4 billion year old crystals whose chemistry resembles that of modern rocks produced in subduction zones. But other researchers say those crystals could have formed in other ways. Others have hypothesized that plate tectonics began recently, geologically speaking. They point to rock types known to form in modern plate collision zones that never seem to be older than about 700 million years. The argument goes like this. If there aren't any old examples of these rocks, then plate tectonics must be young as well. The appearance of those rocks may reflect changes that happened after the onset of plate tectonics, like the slow cooling of Earth's interior. Here's Alan Collins again. I think the rock record is quite convincing that there's plenty of evidence of horizontal collisions of interacting rifting apart between large bits of the Earth's surface way back into the Archean. Researchers say to some extent, the disagreement over timing shows how plate tectonics itself has changed over time. Rather than experiencing a sudden switch from off to on, tectonic activity probably evolved gradually toward its modern form. One of the biggest problems is what is plate tectonics? How do you define it? That actually isn't as clear as it should be because the extreme version of plate tectonics is that we have very rigid, completely underformable plates where all the deformation occurs between plates. And that isn't the case in the modern Earth, right? We have mountains in the middle of Asia, like the Tian Shan Mountains. Even where I'm sitting here in Adelaide, in Australia, there's some hills, they're not really mountains, but they are a active mountain belt where there are reasonably regular earthquakes an awful long way away from plate margins. So the extreme plate tectonics doesn't exist on Earth now. But of course, most of the movement between the relatively rigid chunks of the Earth does happen on plate margins. Significant data gathered over the last decade suggests that a major inflection point in the evolution of plate tectonics happened around 3.2 billion years ago, in the middle of the Archean. The inflection shows up in several lines of evidence. Geochemical tracers indicate that oxygen, carbon dioxide, and water began to move between the atmosphere and mantle after that time. The volume of stable continental crust jumped as well. Only diamonds that formed after that date contain specks of eclogite. That's rock forged from material dragged down from Earth's surface. And lavas called commodiites, which were super hot when they erupted, start to disappear from the rock record. That further signals that the mantle had begun to circulate. Two giant papers published in 2020 by different teams reviewed the evidence and independently concluded that plate tectonics got going around 3.2 billion years ago. Earth's record remains ambiguous, and for some, the debate continues. But Collins says the new tungsten findings provide a chemical fingerprint. 
In 2015, at the University of Cologne, Jonas Tusch and Karsten Munker devised a new way to investigate the onset of plate tectonics. They focused on tungsten-182, an isotope of tungsten that was formed by the radioactive decay of hafnium-182 within 60 million years of the solar system's formation. Tungsten-182 should be relatively abundant in rocks from early in Earth's history, but once plate tectonics started, the convective churning of the mantle would have mixed up tungsten-182 with the other four isotopes of tungsten, yielding rocks with uniformly low tungsten-182 values. Tusch and Munker developed a powerful new method for extracting tiny traces of tungsten from ancient rocks. Then they went looking for the rocks. Here's Tush. The first project I was working on, also looking on 182 tungsten anomalies, was on rocks in the Isar supracrustal belt in southwestern Greenland. And there, the tungsten isotope anomalies do not show any variation. The researchers thought that maybe the Greenland rocks had been deformed and heated in their history, scrambling their geochemical information. They needed better rocks. So Munker says they headed to Pilbara in Western Australia. That's a reason to go to the Pilbara Quadrant because it has some of the best preserved Archean rocks on the whole planet. Super fresh and they haven't seen much heating compared to similar rocks of that age. Tush says after striking out in Greenland. I was really keen on finding samples that do not display the same value over and over again. Co-author Martin van Conondonk of the University of New South Wales guided the team. They crisscrossed the outback in off-road trucks, visiting rust-red outcrops where ancient volcanic rock and vegetation mimic each other. Here's Tush. It is a rough landscape, and you do not have a lot of vegetation, but a lot of patches of this so-called spinifex grass, which is a really nasty grass that has silicon in its structure. And it's very spiky. The crew hammered off a promising half ton of rocks and lavas that formed between 2.7 billion and 3.5 billion years ago. Back in Germany, Tusch set to work. The first thing you do is removing the parts that are not fresh, where weathering might have affected mineral composition. This is done by a rock saw. He then polished some slices down to half the width of a human hair to make them transcellent enough to look through with a microscope. He crushed the rest and concentrated the tungsten, then analyzed the tungsten isotope ratios in a mass spectrometer. Munker says, as you can imagine, it was a slow process. It's not like you go to the lab one day and then, wow, that's it, it's... It's very long and enduring work. After nearly two years, the results trickled out. This time, the isotope ratios were not flat. The tungsten 182 concentrations started out high in rocks formed before 3.3 billion years ago, showing that the mantle wasn't mixing yet. Then the values declined over 200 million years until they reached modern levels by 3.1 billion years ago. That decline reflects the dilution of the ancient tungsten 182 signal as the mantle beneath Pilbara began to mix. Tusch says that mixing shows that plate tectonics had begun. This process is related to the onset of modern plate tectonics and to a change in the tectonic regime. 
to a change in the wavelength of mental convection due to different viscosity of the mantle due to changing mental temperatures with time. Earth would quickly transform from a water world studded with volcanic islands into a world of continents with mountains, rivers and floodplains, lakes and shallow seas. The start date of roughly 3.2 billion years ago helps clarify how plate tectonics impacted life on Earth. Life started beforehand, more than 3.9 billion years ago, and was making little stacks and sediments at Pilbara, called stromatolites, by 3.48 billion years ago. This shows that plate tectonics isn't a prerequisite for life at its most basic level. Yet, it's probably no coincidence that life diversified just as plate tectonics got underway. With plate tectonics came shallow, sunlit seas and lakes fertilized with nutrients weathered from continental rock. Bacteria evolved in these environments to harvest sunlight through photosynthesis, generating oxygen. For another half billion years, this oxygen remained barely a whiff in the sky, partly because it immediately reacted with iron and other chemicals. Also, every oxygen molecule generated in photosynthesis is matched by a carbon atom. These easily recombine into carbon dioxide, with no net gain of oxygen in the atmosphere, unless the carbon is buried. Gradually, though, plate tectonics provided the land and sediments in which to bury more and more of the carbon. This also provided plenty of phosphorus to stimulate photosynthetic bacteria. The atmosphere eventually oxygenated 2.4 billion years ago. Oxygen set up the planet for the emergence of plants, animals, and almost everything else with an oxygen-based metabolism. Life larger and more complex than microbes requires more energy, and organisms can make much more of the vital energy-carrying molecule called ATP with oxygen than they can without it. Athena Eister of Johns Hopkins University says that nutrient cycle is very important. Oxygen is really important for complex life. And so in many ways, having oxygenic photosynthesis and having the superficial conditions be enough so that there weren't too many reductants taking up all the oxygen that was being produced was very important. And that may itself be linked to plate tectonics. Progress toward complexity stalled through the boring billion era the roughly billion-year reign of the supercontinent Nuna Rodinia. Ming Tang of Peking University and his colleagues argue that with the continent stuck in a jam, the mountains eroded completely, reducing the flow of nutrients into the ocean and lowering oxygen levels. Eventually, the supercontinent broke apart, and new mountains grew and exported nutrients again. Only then, about 600 million years ago, did complex organisms diversify and get bigger, riding Earth's second rise in oxygen. Complex animal life exploded in the oceans 540 million years ago, and on land soon after. Dry land was now habitable because oxygen in the stratosphere formed ozone that protected land life from ultraviolet radiation. Here's Eister again. If we think about some of the early evidences of cyanobacteria on earth and different things, it seems like once you start getting some of the building blocks going, even if it's early on a planet's history, 
I think that potentially there are a lot of analogs for other planets of an Archean world, maybe without plate tectonics or a Hadean world without plate tectonics that have the same conditions and might have life. It might be much harder to have complex life on a planet without plate tectonics. But consider Mars. Mars and Earth were quite similar in their first billion years. But Mars never developed plate tectonics, possibly because it's smaller than Earth, so its interior pressure was insufficient to drive mantle convection on a large scale. Instead, it quickly developed a thick crust not conducive to forming mobile plates. Today, Mars is rusted red, with little surface water, no magnetic field, and scant atmosphere. But if not for plate tectonics, that might have been Earth's fate, too. Matt Carlstrom helped with this episode. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Howard Lee's full article, Scientists' pinned down when Earth's crust cracked, then came to life on our website, quantamagazine.org. Quantum Magazine is an editorially independent online publication launched by the Simons Foundation to enhance public understanding of science.